Hello, everybody. Welcome to Branding Bud Live, the live stream that's 100% THC, 0% WTF. Every week, we bring business people to talk about the business of cannabis. I'm David Palaszczuk, the founder of Branding Bud Consulting Group and the author of Branding Bud, the commercialization of cannabis, the first book on cannabis branding. And I'm joined by my co-host, Adriana Hemans, an expert in consumer in insights and cannabis. Welcome, Adriana. Hello. Hey, David. Hey, David. Oh, I got a little delay there. Uh, what's up, LinkedIn? If you're just joining us for the first time, I'm seeing a bunch of people rolling in, which is super exciting. This show is highly interactive, so please feel free to drop your comments or questions in the chat. It doesn't have to be always with our interactive game. If you just want to tell us what you're up to today or what your weekend plans are, please feel free. It's about networking and building community. So, yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, me too. That's what we do here. And again, just to reiterate, please participate. We've got uh, our chat on the right side. So uh, hit us up. Let us know what you're feeling this morning, this Thursday morning, as we get into it. Um, I'm super excited about uh, what we've got going today and who our guest is. We have um, Ben Gaines. Ben is the director of um, marketing at Wild. Wild is one of the um, best-known cannabis edible companies in the country. They're in multiple states. They're known for their unique flavors, um, which create um, you know, an interesting uh, and, and modern sort of take on, on gummies and candies. But yet there's something familiar and comfortable about their packaging as well that you know, is really interesting. So we'll talk about- Hi, Michael, um, Thanks for joining. We'll talk about Ben and we'll bring him out um, to talk about uh, the gummies that are really off the charts right now uh, across the country. So let's uh, let's welcome Ben Gaines. Let's do it. Hey, Ben. Welcome. Hi, Ben. Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Wonderful to be here. We're super excited to talk to you. Super appreciate the time. I know that you must be incredibly busy with everything you have going on over at Wild. And we'll get into a little bit about a new brand that you're launching um, in a minute. But just to kick us off, let's let's learn about you a little bit. What what are you passionate about? What's your story, Ben? Yeah, um, well, uh, you know, my story is a pretty diverse and varied background. I come from uh, Los Angeles uh, in my adult lifetime and moved up to Portland about 11 years ago. Um, I've been working in my career uh, with premium brands a lot, usually in an independent business environments and working closely with owners. Um, focused on the consumer and, you know, the quality experience that we, we can build through uh, retail and other touch points. And uh, here in Oregon, most recently, I was working with an outdoor lifestyle brand called Polar uh, prior to Wild. Uh, got the opportunity to come over to Wild as they launched their Wild CBD brand. Uh, ended up being a director of operations as we scaled that brand nationally um, and built out a gummy and beverage line uh, for the first time uh, in the CBD space. And now I've transitioned into a director of marketing role uh, here at Wild, which is super fun. Very excited uh, to work and support the work of a very talented team here who is uh, working on brand operations for you know America's largest edibles brand. Um, so it's exciting stuff. Um, when I'm not working, I like to, you know, recharge in uh, solitude, experience silence, go outside, uh, walk in the woods, garden, things like that. Um, so I, I tend to like turn it off and, uh, and walk away, uh, you know, in my off time and uh, do things that uh, Oregonians like to do, which is uh, get muddy and uh, wet and grow a little moss behind our ears, that kind of thing. <laughs> 
it's interesting. So the, the company is based uh, based in Oregon, and you, you take advantage of that. That's great. Yeah, it's a very common attribute. Uh, people here at uh, Wild HQ love the outdoors. Uh, you know, a lot of our product inspiration comes from love of nature and really um, is reflected in some of our branding, uh, that iconic, you know, kind of feeling that you get when you're connecting with the natural environs um, and connected to things that, um, you know, replenish you as a person. Um, and we find that a lot in our in our surroundings up here. That's awesome. I mean, passion is, is really everything. You know, just to touch upon something quickly, uh, which I wasn't aware of, um, it's very rare to see, to see an operations person also be a marketing person. You know, one operations is usually really grounded in, in reality and getting product developed and made and shipped and, and all the logistics, whereas marketing is, is obviously more creative. So um, are you saying that marketing is not uh, grounded in reality, David? No, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm saying there's probably a little more opportunity for, for creativity in marketing than there is in, in ops. Although, although I would love, I'm sure there's operations, pe operations people saying, no, there's plenty of creativity and efficiency in, in, in ops too. But would you, would you just touch upon that, you know, sort of working both, both roles and sort of seeing that balance? Yeah, happy to. Um, I think it's safe to say that I've been a jack of all trades and that I've, that I've worked a lot of different roles. Uh, this is my fourth director role in two companies in six years. So there's just been a lot of moving around and addressing business needs um, in, as I pursued, you know, the best opportunities uh, within the environments that I was acting in. Um, if we were to zoom out and, you know, go back to before Wild. Uh, working at Polar was a really great experience to be able to um, work on brand operations and grow into that, uh, you know, working on e-commerce, uh, consumer facing sales, um, wholesale, and then eventually really trying to drive a successful, you know, startup experience uh, for that brand. Um, there's a lot of nuts and bolts that go into how a brand gets communicated, how it gets executed on time, how it goes to market, all of those things. And I started to learn those things at Polar. Coming over to Wild, um, this company is full of people who came from a different place and ended up in the place that they are um, and took uh, the bull by the horns and really, um, you know, embraced the opportunities. And we're an operations first company. We manufacture. Uh, we have a bunch of facilities in a bunch of states and a bunch of people doing things with their hands uh, and their bodies. And so a lot of our DNA is really built around that. Um, if we fast forward, you know, uh, past my time in the manufacturing wing in this company, uh, the opportunity existed to really build out the department of marketing within Wild as a new experience. There, were, there was a small headcount, and there had always been some uh, support here internally, but we really hadn't built out the full kind of brand operations wing. So, partnering with our uh, CMO and founder Chris Joseph, and with the you know blessing of uh, of Aaron Morris, CEO, I got the opportunity to come into a different director role and really focus on operationalizing brand uh, as a function of expansion. Um, and when we talk about what it takes to execute marketing and go to market as quickly as we are in as many places as we are, and skew assortment additions, those are all operational problems and requires a ton of project management and. Uh, interconnectivity with people who are very business-minded um, and on a timeline and a budget and all the functional things. So 
Whereas people like to think of marketing as uh, as the creative wing, and we certainly do a lot of that, and we're we're you know very inspired by you know the work that we do uh, on the wild brand. We're also down to brass tacks, very lean um, and very focused on how we hit goal and how we do uh, more with less as an independent brand. Uh, I think the only, uh, you know, one of the few independent cannabis brands at our scale, uh, we really have to be operationally excellent in order to achieve what we're doing. Thanks for that insight into how your your organization is structured and the viewpoint. I think that's really helpful for people as they're like considering how to scale up or like how to approach op oper operationalizing the brand as you put it so eloquently. I just wanna call out a comment from um, Jeremy Smith who said, wearing my wild hat while working on my Canadian federal petition, love wild. Thank you, Jeremy. Wonderful, thanks for the support. <laughs> You know, uh, just just one thing quickly, uh, I, I want to call out. You called yourself uh, for a while, I believe. Uh, well, you used the word independent. You certainly didn't use the uh, the word MSO or multi-state operator. And I think it's it's really interesting to. Um, and I understand why. You know, based on the, on the history of, uh, of the company and so on and so forth. But it's really interesting to. Um, uh, you know, to sort of see the difference and the nuance between an independent uh, cannabis manufacturer in many states versus an MSO in quotes. Yeah, I, we get that comment um, more and more. Obviously, we've scaled into multi-state operation, and that's an appropriate um, kind of nomenclature for what we're doing. Um, when we really look at how that's applied in our industry, it typically refers to uh, companies that have taken significant investment, um, have a board, are uh, traded, you know, on you know that level. And uh, that's just not us. So it's important that we um, feature our independence as a strength because that has really enabled us to do the things that we're doing, have uh, strong control and uh, execute, you know, brand and product consistency across a wide variety of markets and touch points um, and not have to worry too much about too many cooks in the kitchen as far as our ideology and our um, strategic approach go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. And thanks for calling that out. I think that's important to a lot of people today. Well, you know, because they're so passionate about the industry and because we have such a passionate, you know, audience here, we always like to have audience interactivity. So um, so with that, we're going to do something a little fun, a little, a little wacky, which we always try to do at least. So um, we have something uh, every week where we have a little game. This week's game is uh, is called Strain Your Brain. And of course, we're going to talk about uh, cannabis strains, uh, which some people might call cultivars or, or have other words for them. But uh, we're having fun. We're not getting politically correct right now with the words we're choosing. So um, cultivar. So that's yes. why we went with brain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't rhyme with brain, right? So... Um, so that said, um, let's jump into it. We've got a we've got a fun question. We're going to ask the audience to participate, and uh, and then Ben will ask you to chime in, you know, with uh, with the last call, and and we'll see where everybody is. So that said, let's jump into it, shall we? All right, strain your brain. Which one of these strain names is fake? A. Purple panty dropper. B. Don't stop. C, Alaskan thunder, F apostrophe, or asterisk rather, the CK, 
or D, Stenkosaurus? Three are real and one is fake. So take your guess on which one is fake and drop it in the comments. That's right. Let's see how many cannabis business people know their strains. We can call it Alaskan Thunder Fork if we want to not have to spell out the word. Well, I didn't want to get us booted from our live stream. I don't know, um, you know, where, where our boundaries are relative to uh, to the words we choose. So. Um, any anyone from the audience want to participate? You can in the right side uh, in the chat. Again, A, purple panty dropper. B, don't stop. C, I'll say it, Alaskan, Alaskan thunderfuck. Or D, stankosaurus. All right, well, Jai comes in with a B. Don't stop. Jesse gets B. We have a guess for C. Another guess for B from Alexis. Okay, we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of B guesses here. I know, but when you think about it, C is you know who who would name a strain of Alaskan Thunderfuck? Um, but hey, from Aaron, none are fake. Surely someone has named a cultivar with every one of those, and you might just not be aware of it. Yeah, super true. That's true. Which which uh, begs you know the the, the need for the um, for the, uh, the strain dictionary or encyclopedia but um <laughs> well um all right well we have a lot of different folks chiming in but um the best strain is the right strain um there we go people are chiming in now atf we've heard of that hey ben what are your thoughts on this you know, I'm watching the crowd here um, and trusting in their deep, deep knowledge of what's out there, what flowers got going on. Um, and I'm going to go with B. B. Okay. Don't stop. All right. Let's well. reveal the answer. And hey, Cheryl, from she says hello from Sweet Leaf Genetics in beautiful Mount Shasta. Thanks for joining us. Ooh, Mount Shasta. Nice. All right. Let's see what the answer is. And the answer is B. Don't stop. You would think that would be a strain too, for sure. You know, the, you know, uh, uh, the euphoria you you want, or the sleep you're getting, or whatever the benefit is, you <clears throat> you want it to continue. It it seems uh, it seems to make sense to me. Thanks well, for watching, then, everybody. Yes. Well, I I hope that was as good for you as it was for me, everybody. Um, that was it was quite enjoyable. Now that we're warmed up, uh, let's get back to the show, shall? Shall we? All right. You know, so Ben, let's let's jump in and really talk about wild. I mean, wild is in several states, as we spoke earlier. To be specific, you know, Oregon is uh, is your your home base and an originating state. You're in California, Washington, Arizona, um, Colorado, and and Michigan. And so, you know, when I think about that and the varying rules and regulations that you need to sort of transcend or, or not transcend, but incorporate and, you know, that differ your brand from state to state. How do you keep that brand consistent from state to state? Can we talk about that? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, I would add, you know, a few states to that list. We, you know, recently uh, gone into Oklahoma and uh, we're in Canada as well. So that really like opens up the conversation in terms of complexity and how we address it. 
Um, the, the standard that we have set as far as our operational model is to go in and as much as possible own our operations uh, from production through distribution. So the number one way that we maintain consistency is to uh, employ staff in our own facilities to operate um, and execute on the same playbook everywhere we go, same kitchen, you know, same same recipes, same ingredient base, et cetera. Um, in the background, we've got a huge team of people working specifically on expansion and collaborating. Um, we have a director of expansion operations. Our supply chain team is always looking 18 to 36 months ahead at like, you know, what's coming, what's going on in the world, where's supply chain shifting, how are uh, things happening in the world that can impact uh, the natural ingredients that we incorporate in our products. Um, and it takes a, a small army really to like look ahead and enable uh, that consistency once we get into market, right? Um, aside from all the complexity of compliance and, you know, like the packaging design components uh, and, and what that means in every individual market, uh, at the end of the day, we really want the gummy to be the same from, from region to region. And uh, insofar as it is possible, we've, uh, we've really done well with that. Um, almost across the board, we have consistent uh, potency and dosing. Uh, in our gummies in America, uh, slightly different uh, in Canada in terms of the maximum potency per piece and things like that. Uh, but overall, we've, we've been remarkably successful at uh, designing a product that can be made uh, in, a, in a repetitious way at scale uh, across a variety of facilities and, um, and really done well with our, our teams, uh, which are highly trained and highly motivated um, and leaning on the, all of the food science uh, and uh, food safety and quality uh, employees that Wild uh, brings into each of those facilities uh, to maintain that quality. Cool. I, I have a quick, a quick question, um, you know, just in terms of dosing. So I, I would say over time, you know, because people were focused on THC levels, they look for the highest dosing. So when a company moves into different states, they're they're really changing that dosing. So for example, if you're in Massachusetts, a, a dose per serve or a serving dose is five milligrams, whereas in Washington state it's 10, whereas in some of the other medical states, it's way higher. So are you taking the approach similar, dare I say like CAN, which you know it's it's a microdose and they keep it uniform across all of the states rather than having these various doses as they work through the different states. Yes, uh, I think you know it's important to point out that Wild does meet the market where it's at in uh, certain cases. So in a medical environment, we do have some higher dose products, um, and we'll go where potency is allowable, but also where the consumer supports. So if we see a skew that's a you know a thousand milligrams per package in twenty pieces or something like that, that's that's what they need. That's what they want for that medical customer. We're certainly there to provide that. Our core lineup really is those 10 milligram per piece, uh, you know, gummies. Uh, the serving size can vary based on regulation, whether that's a half piece or, uh, you know, something, you know, more than that. Uh, but in general, what we find is uh, the way that we are able to match consumer use and need uh, is that the gummy is really very uh, well made. It's homogenous in its potency, and it's able to be portioned in a way that the consumer can count on. So, for instance, in my house, I'm very much a 2.5 milligram guy on a weeknight. You know, I kind of want to like take the edge off and enjoy myself while I watch a TV show right before I fall asleep. But I don't want to wake up with uh, you know any kind of hangover, like you know fuzziness. So I won't go a lot further than that. 
So I might cut my gummy in half or a quarter, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I can definitely go further and I can definitely go less and I can do that reliably because the gummy is going to be kind of the same in, in all in all areas and uh, it's easy to portion out. So that's one of the success stories of Wild as far as matching consumer use. We do definitely have consumers that are going to take higher dosing. We do definitely have a lot of consumers who find it very welcoming uh, that there are stair steps within Wild. We have a few SKUs that are lower potency. We have quite a few that are kind of maxing out on the, the state allowable per piece or per serving and providing that value to the consumer is a lot of what Wild does. Uh, we're really focused on making sure that the price point and uh, value proposition is strong. Um, so that does mean that like where potency is allowable, we're likely to provide that. Um, but the homogeneity and the repeatability of you know scale in terms of portioning really makes it an approachable product uh, from almost any dosing uh, scenario. Since we're talking about approachability and the experience that the end user is having, I think this is a good time to show to talk about the design and talk about packaging itself and how people, you know, potentially are drawn to products based on, you know, what, what it looks like on the outside, what promise you're sort of showcasing uh, to lure them in. Yeah, a lot of people will comment on the package as one of the, the first memories that they have of the brand. Um, seeing it in store, uh, it creates interest. Um, it is unique. Uh, we're proud of the way that this package presents as something that stands out from the crowd. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the why behind this, we really wanted a very small package, something that's very efficient and, uh, and enables us to, you know, produce quality, but also approachability in terms of price. We didn't really want to market this as a very upscale, upmarket uh, product. It's more of that premium middle. Um, so the complexity of the design of the package communicates, you know, thoughtfulness and, uh, and that we care about this touch point. Uh, the multifaceted aspect of the package really gives us a lot of opportunities to do both branding and compliance and education. Uh, they're, they're, you know, unfold those flaps and really, um, you know, have an experience with the package and uh, the two touch points of, you know, a box on the outside and a dram on the inside in uh, most of our regions really provides a lot of interaction and engagement with consumers, which we're proud of. And um, and again, you know, usually as part of the story, the history uh, on a personal level of what people have to say about why wild um, is is something that they you know connect with. I I remember seeing the you know the wild uh, box. God, I want to say eight to 10 years ago, perhaps, in Portland, um, uh, quite some time ago. Um, I'm not quite sure how long ago it was, but quite some time ago. And it, and it, it just always stood out um, in, in the box. Um, I, I see that, uh, that we do have a question up here. Let me throw this out. So a question for Ben. Has your company implemented GMP and OSHA standards to ensure safety of your workers and customers? Thanks, Farmer Tom, for your question. Yeah, that's that's a great one, and and really, um, I'm happy to answer. You know, on behalf of the entire operations and facilities teams, that uh, we have from the beginning set a really high standard for our facilities, our sa employee safety, um, and our our operational safety, um, as well as the quality and efficacy of our products from like a food safety standpoint. So, uh, you heard me say safety like five times there. It's a big part of what we do. 
Uh, we operate an FDA registered facility on our CBD line and all of our THC facilities operate with GMP uh, in place. And again, we have a full-time uh, you know, food safety and quality team that's in our facilities on a regular basis, training and implementing policy to test and measure uh, our success rate with, uh, with those policies. So it's a very strong program and it's something that um, we view as critical to our success, not only because we really care about, um, you know, being successful with our customers and providing something that's safe um, for them, but also this is a, a plan to withstand uh, federal legalization and be ready for higher regulation and higher standards in the industry at large. Yeah. Very cool. You know, I just want to call out another comment we have here from Chris Sula. I'm sorry if I butchered your name. Wild was my introduction to the CBD market years ago in Florida and then the subsequent cannabis market in Arizona. And it was definitely the packaging and labeling and everything tastes great. Thank you for your comment. Yeah, thank you for that. And That's Ben, awesome. just, thank you. you know, just to come back full circle, uh, your response, uh, you know, was really amazing. The five safeties you threw out. But what's great about that is you're, you're an ops guy too, and you can speak to that, right? So so you really know the company. And, and this really speaks to the heart of what we're trying to get at today, right? Which is like, what does it take to build a national cannabis brand? You know, like, what are those things you need to be thinking about? Not only the beautiful packaging, not only the education, educating of your consumers, but also how do I make this stuff? How do I make it consistently? How is it, you know, uh, homogeneous across uh, individual batches and across everything else. So, um, so it's really, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting to sort of see that, uh, you know, how that, how that takes out. Um, so we know that you've recently or are just introducing a new brand. Um, would you talk us through that a, a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so whereas Wild has been focused really on a, a lot of territorial expansion over the last you know, six years and um, building out its success in uh, North America, uh, this has been the first opportunity um, for us to focus on uh, expanding our portfolio uh, beyond that, that Wild and Wild CBD line. So Good Tide uh, is a solventless hash rosin edible. It's made with real fruit uh, tropical flavors. Um, so very similar to the wild, uh, you know, portfolio as far as like, you know, quality of ingredients and, and our approach. Uh, it is a vegan formulation, so the texture is a little bit different, um, but very, very delectable and delicious. Um, as you might expect from a wild product, uh, the flavor leads, the aroma is outstanding. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to say that like our food science and uh, product development team knocked it out of the park with these. They did an excellent job in combining uh, the flavor and aroma of that solventless hash rosin with these tropical flavors to create a really nice balance. So it's something for everybody, right? You get that that really positive, you know, fruit flavor and aroma that's super enjoyable. You get the solventless hash rosin experience, which is rich with terpenes and naturally occurring cannabinoids uh, from straight from the plant. Um, and it it start it starts to you know tell more of the story of how we do what we do, which is you know bring real high quality ingredients uh, into the market and present an opportunity for those people who maybe found uh, something 
missing, wanted something a little bit more straight from the plant, uh, a little bit more experiential in terms of the, uh, the strain specificity and terpenes experience that a lot of people really focus on um, and is emerging as like a, you know, a, a, a strong trend in uh, cannabis edibles. So we're proud to put this on the shelf in uh, Oregon, Colorado, and California. Uh, Oregon stores are starting to see this product show up in market this week, and uh, we'll be seeing deliveries go into uh, California and Colorado starting next week. That's awesome. And it's exciting to be able to show um, on this show on Branding Bud Live a new product before a lot of folks have even had an opportunity to see it yet. So I also wanted to call out a question uh, from one of our uh, audience members, question from Germany, and this is for you, Ben. How important is sustainability in the production and packaging process for being successful at the point of sale? How aware is the average consumer in the U.S. about that? If you want to take the first part, I will take an attempt at the second part. Sure. Absolutely. This is great. Thank you for bringing that up. I completely whiffed on one of the main, uh, you know, points of pride with our Good Tide package, which is that this is a fully compostable and recyclable package. Um, it's not the norm uh, for, for cannabis brands to, to have a compostable package. In fact, single-use plastic is a known uh, defect and flaw in uh, the supply chain for our industry. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of pollution going into the environment uh, through consumption of cannabis. So uh, as an organization, we've been focused on sustainability uh, as we've been able to reinvest some of our uh, you know, our capital into projects like this, which is to develop uh, wholly unique uh, supply chain items, uh, which aren't on the shelf, aren't available as stock, and, uh, and, and introduce a, a plastic-free uh, package into the market. Beyond that, we're also a climate-neutral certified brand um, in both Wild and Good Tide. Uh, we are the first climate neutral certified cannabis brand. Um, and we're proud of that. We were uh, carbon neutral before that, but, uh, you know, took the additional steps to uh, achieve that uh, climate neutral certification. And it's an ongoing process. We really have to work hard to continuously measure uh, offset and reduce our carbon emissions. And uh, we have, you know, pretty lofty goals in terms of where we head next in terms of making sure that wild is always on the leading edge of sustainability. So to, to answer your question on the second piece, I, I came from the world of consumer insights and data and recalling a lot of the surveys that we did and the research that we did with consumers in the U.S. It ranged, if my memory is serving me, between 25 to 35 percent said that sustainable packaging was something that was part of uh, how they made their purchasing decisions. I think it was like top three or top five considerations. Um, I'm also curious to know, and maybe our, our listener would know, what is the awareness level like in Germany? Is it, you know, more of a concern for, for German consumers? I'm curious. So feel free to answer me. I have an answer. Yeah, I would say generally speaking, um, uh, Europeans are probably more, uh, more sustainable uh, conscious than, than Americans are. But certainly, um, I, I think sustainability, uh, recyclability, I think are, are really big issues in the industry. And I think cannabis consumers are, are concerned about that. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen products or companies come back in after they've put out non-recyclable products with uh, containers to collect their products, you know, after there have there been complaints and things like that. So there's a lot of backtracking where there was at least in the industry. But 
I, I think it's great that there's a, a push now toward uh, sustainability and, you, and sort of being mindful of it. You know, Ben, I'm uh, um, I'm curious, and, and we're, we're open for our, our German compadre to, to follow up with uh, a response. But you know, while while we're waiting um, quickly, you know, I, I'd like to talk about you know the the choice of of the flavors, you know, uh, versus the effects. You know, selection of flavor versus effect. I know that, um, for example, Wild has uh, a raspberry sativa. You, you know, so how do you pair up a flavor with with a feeling? Um, you know, would, would you talk about that? And even even looking at the slide now, you know, there's there's the mango, the guava, the pineapple, which certainly seems more, for lack of a better word, Caribbean than the Pacific Northwest vibe I get from, from Wild. Um, can can you talk about how flavor and brand aura, um, you know? Sort of, sort of work together to to create the experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the the number one thing to understand is, you know, when we featured raspberry um, as our sativa skew, that was one of our first uh, products to go to market. And berries are a huge experience up here in the Northwest, and and um, just part of our local culture. Um, and Marionberry being that that other you know core product uh, on the indica side. You know, it was that kind of like, you know, hot and cold, uh, red and, you know, deeper colors. Um, I think a lot of the mood comes from color, quite frankly, when we consider like those two options. Um, there are terpenes present in fruit and vegetables, and some of those can be synergistic in ways that are meaningful to us when we are more more thinking about how terpenes interact with uh, the product and flavor. So when we look at mango uh, being a mercine rich, uh, you know, fruit and positioning that as uh, more of our indica dominant uh, experience on the good tide side, that felt like a natural pairing um, that made sense to us. Um, in general, you know, I can't tell you the, the origin story of raspberry was like, this is the fruit that makes me feel like dancing or anything like that. Um, I do think it was like, hey, we're, we're going to launch with these three, uh, you know, products that are berries, you know, huckleberry sitting in the middle being very unique and, um, and kind of a standout uh, flavor. Um, and really just looking at those as the main opportunities when we went to market with those THC only SKUs. I will say that like, as we you know, continue to develop new flavors and we talk about what to position in market next, it's mostly about what we're excited about, what tastes amazing, what continues the tradition of wild being some of the best tasting candy, you know, bar none, not even just cannabis edibles, but like best tasting candy on the planet. Um, so our food science product development team are very much focused on uh, keeping a, a, you know, a base of opportunities. They're always exploring juice, juice and, uh, you know, supply chain uh, flavoring, uh, working with our flavor house for natural flavoring that, um, that really boosts us into that next tier of performance in terms of, you know, standing apart from the competition and having an amazing flavor experience built in uh, alongside that amazing cannabinoid impact. Super interesting. Um, I'm excited to see what what new flavors you'll come up with next. I definitely also think that raspberry is one of the most energetic combinations you can have. Like it's almost like the flavor version of our opening song. Um, while we have this slide deck up, let's go into our next stat. Because you know we had to get a little businessy on you here talking about flavors, but we're gonna switch gears a little bit and talk just about gummies in general. 
Uh, they're a very hot market right now. They're really just exploding in popularity and growth, but exactly how much? So this stat is from Headset. And the question is, in 2021, sales of infused gummies accounted for what percentage of edible sales in these state markets? California, Colorado, Michigan, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington. So six state markets were asking what percentage of gummies was the edibles market overall? Is it A, 40%, B, 55%, C, 70%, or D, 85%? Um, and to give you some context here, other forms of edibles would be chocolates or mints or cookies. Uh, so feel free to take a guess what percentage of the edibles market in these states came from gummies. Right. And it's it's interesting, you know, to think about, I mean, obviously edibles, but within edibles, there are the varying form factors. And so, um, you know, gummies have seemed to really taken off and, and you know, um, much like CBD, you know, the cannabinoid of, of uh, the poster child for cannabinoids, you know, uh, gummies are very much the same thing for, um, uh, or, or perhaps are the same thing for, um, you know, for edibles. Um, well, we have, we have three C's, so that's uh, 70%. Wow, that, that would be interesting if, uh, if gummies are really that, that high. Um, ben, do, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the audience knows their stuff. I'm going to go with C as well. Adriana, did you expect it to be that high where you're rolling with the audience? I think it's interesting to just think about how popular gummies are overall. And I think some of this is driven by what we're seeing outside of the cannabis market with vitamin gummies, calcium gummies. I think that this is one example of how food trends and wellness trends are informing what happens inside the cannabis industry. And yes, our audience is very knowledgeable. We have three guesses for C, one vote for B, and one vote for D. Should we reveal the answer? We should, with a drum roll. Nice. 70%, wow. wow. 70%, yeah. Pretty amazing. Well, so, so I have a follow-up question, and maybe you just touched upon it, Adriana, but, you know, Ben, why have, you know, gummies outperformed other other form factors like chocolate, like um, brownies, like, you know, all the other things that are out on the market? I think there are a number of factors that have contributed to this. I think that it's um, one of the formats that you can you can make in a diverse, you know, kind of array of flavors while maintaining a consistent matrix for the consumer to experience cannabis. Um, and I think that going further on that, I've 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 heard commentary, and I think some of it came from within our company that uh, the way that gummies are cooked and uh, and you know really you know make cannabis extracts available to the body is um, arguably superior um, and that the performance is really what's driving uh, consumer adoption of these products. It's not necessarily um, that they would rather eat a gummy than a brownie. Um, maybe at the end of the day, I would rather eat a brownie than a gummy on an, on an average basis. But um, would those things perform the same way? Would they give me the best possible use? 
um, and uh, and impact, right? So I think for a lot of reasons, uh, gummies are leading the pack, but um, one of them certainly is that, you know, gummies really are a strong option for a quick hit um, without consuming a lot of calories. Uh, you can get a lot of, you know, various flavors in there um and uh and and they seem to work really well for the consumer on uh, many levels and, and just quickly so then could, could you talk about you know the, the vegan the gluten-free components all all the other things that sort of come along with that to make it a, a healthier product you know at wild and and uh and and more so maybe with wild cbd uh you know we have definitely been focused on a low calorie um you know option and and understanding that not everybody wants to chow down on a big cookie in order to get their dose um and that's not a wellness approach right so uh when we when we go into you know our our product formulation we're very focused on a 10 calorie per piece or less uh, experience. Um, and that's achievable in almost every case where we're not doing like higher dose products, uh, which are bigger, bigger gummies. Um, and that, you know, opens up the opportunity for people who do have uh, special needs uh, beyond just like wanting to have a cannabis impact. Uh, um, they can, you know, incorporate the gummy into their lifestyle, whatever that may be with minimal risk. Um, in terms of, you know, vegan or not vegan, um, we offer both formulations across our brands and uh, there are arguments for both. Uh, you, you know, in terms of a gelatin gummy, there's a lot of great uh, texture and melt resistance and, and the factors like that. Um, really nice mouthfeel and chew. Uh, the vegan gummies are also really excellent um, and have high melt resistance. But uh, for some people, that's really a focus of theirs is to is to not um, incorporate uh, animal or animal byproducts in their diet. And um, we need to be available for those as well. Both are really great options. We're proud to present both um, and, and be, you know, uh, you know, arguably best in class in both. It's cool to hear your perspective as someone who is deeply embedded in marketing, of course, and really understands the lifestyle consumer, the wellness consumer. Uh, so final question for you, Ben, when you're not out getting muddy or mossy in the wilderness, where can people reach you? Yeah, um, you know, I am, as I mentioned, you know, recharging in solitude, but I'm, a, you know, I'm on uh, on LinkedIn, you can you can chase me down there. Uh, obviously, we're always listening uh, in our customer service and contact channels online. Uh, we have a strong team there and I am highly involved in that process. So if you're giving us a shout, uh, you know, good or bad, uh, I'm here for that process as well. And uh, yeah, in, in general, um, you know, holler at me and uh yeah it's been enjoyable to engage with the audience here today hope you guys have enjoyed it as well absolutely thank you ben we really appreciate your time we appreciate what you do we appreciate your brand as well so um thank you keep doing what you're doing thanks so much right on thanks wow all right well that was pretty amazing um i'm glad uh, everybody um you know, learned about Wild and learned about uh, the new brand, Good Tides. That's really awesome. And Alexis from Wild just dropped a, an email in the chat. So if you have other specific questions or want to chat about something you learned today, feel free to, to hit up Wild at that address. That's right. That's right. Thank you, uh, Alexis. And thank you, Matteo, as well. That's our show for today. We've got some really great shows coming up. Um, we're here every Thursday. We'll start off by saying that Thursday at 11 a.m. Um, 
uh, Pacific Standard and 2 p.m. Uh, East Coast time. Um, our show next week, which is uh, really great, we're doing a preview on MJ BizCon, which is the industry's biggest event, which is coming up in just a few weeks. Our guest is James Zakotny. James is the co-founder of Dope Magazine um, and also the co-founder more recently of Fairchild Events. They are known for throwing the most outrageous and wildest parties in the industry uh, around every every event. So uh, we're getting ready to chat with him about the Shangri-La party, which is their upcoming event uh, in Vegas. And we'll talk about some of the other um, events and sub-events um, that will take place at MJ Biz just a few weeks away. Um, so we're super excited about that. Um, thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us. Thank you for interacting with us. Thank you, Adriana, and thank you again, Ben. Uh, we really love doing what we do, so keep on keeping on and hanging out with us every Thursday. We appreciate it.